Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for joining us here today. You can always find us over at pathtozion.com and, of course, on our YouTube channel, Facebook as well. Send us a, an email message anytime you would like at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. Um, just a few days ago, we finished up um, our last series, and um, it's it's kept me in the same train of thought, I guess, towards... Um, what we presented last time um, with start somewhere and, and and everything of course in my life and our household over the last several years has been a a a returning like we talked about with the the Hebrew understanding of shuv uh, uh, and even repentance itself is a returning to what was intended for humanity and and what has been lost and our position here, in this space and time, on the other side of Yeshua Messiah, is we have been invited into the new covenant reality, and it is it is beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, it is a privilege to, to uh, have that extended to us, is it not? And and today I want to talk about um, the Book of Acts for a little bit. Um, of course, there's a lot of events that take place in Acts, um, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, it covers a lot of ground, and we are given insight into many things. Um, and there are, of course, some questionable gaps, if you will, and wonderings that we may have about, well, what about, I wouldn't mind having a little more information about this or or some more details about that, or I really wish that Paul's words were a little more clear towards this because it seems like he's saying, and I'm, I'm just making this up, in, in Acts well, in anything, we could say in in Galatians 4, 2, he says that this is awesome. And in Galatians 5, 7, he says, don't do this. And in our modern-day inherited versions and translation issues and confusion, oftentimes we're left with a lot of questions. We're left with a lot of wonderings about, like, what in the world was Paul saying? I mean, I remember even that um, in the majority of my Christian walk um, is is reading the New Testament. Of course, it was it was probably eighty percent um, newer Testament and twenty percent older for the majority of my life. That's how I was trained. Is my life, my New Covenant life, is is found in the Gospels and, of course, in the newer Testament and. My understanding was was always challenged with, and I just chalked it up to being ignorant and just not understanding something properly, and so I would just move on. But like a lot of times, Paul's words, his writings sounded like he's kind of arguing with himself. He sounds like he's kind of contradicting himself at times. And that has been a real topic of discussion um, in my life with other people and within my heart, my own studies. Um, And a lot of a lot of people have written Paul off because you come into a certain ancient understanding and he doesn't quite fit all the time. And so a lot of people, a lot of very educated people, uh, just cast him out entirely. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure not saying that in any way. Um, but what I am saying is the other extreme is, is true, um, which is much of Christianity has, has elevated his teachings his writings, and allowed it to somehow, 
as crazy as it sounds, but it's, it's true, replace something that preceded him. And, and somehow Paul, as the spearhead of Christianity, had this new revelation um, of something that was not preexistent before his arrival. And that is equally a very uh, big tragedy. Um, and, and therefore, he has been greatly misunderstood. Um, and I'm not, in, from the very beginning, I'm not telling you that this, this series is going to answer all of those questions. It will not do that. But it is going to address many um, topical questions, and, and specifically um, what you see in the title, which is the accusations that were brought um, up against him, um, primarily in the book of Acts. Um, and I call this a subtle removal of truth because what has happened, and um, you have to keep in mind, all of our lives are in different places along our journey. This this mile marker of my journey is I am having a lot of dialogue with um, people who are just in regular Christian doctrine thinking about, in, in, in all honesty, and we can all say this or we can say it looking back on our lives and in areas we, we are just not aware of yet. We may say a certain scriptural truth, but in, in all reality, it's, it's maybe not what the scripture says at all. It, it, and many times, <laughs> um, you know, I, I will say, okay, brother, well, you, you said, you just said this, quote, where is that? Well, I don't know where it is. Well, can you tell me of like where it might be and we can look at it? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure where that is. And friend, there's a big problem when, when the foundational principles of our, of our, of our spiritual um, identity and, and what we're doing and what we're not doing and, and what we're commanded to do and commanded to not do, that, that becomes real shaky when we don't have a, a proper biblical understanding of like, and I'm not saying I know, like, ask me a question, I may have an answer, and it may be scriptural, but I'm not saying I have the present moment ability to just, like a, like a you know, a lightning bolt straight to, you know, Acts chapter 21, 26a. I'm not saying I can do that, nor am I saying that's the point. What I am saying is, given time and patience and understanding in a relational um, exchange that, that is conducive for that, there should be the ability to arrive at a scriptural response and a, a scriptural understanding of, of what we hold on to as a belief. Now, let's start. This is a perfect segue as we talk about accusations and acts, a subtle removal of truth. I will explain that in much greater detail um, as to why I added the, the little subheading here, a subtle removal of truth. That will make sense as we continue. But as we talk about um, these little intricacies of our beliefs that we have been handed in tradition, we have to face, since we're going to talk about this man, Paul, we have to talk about who he is um, and, and what he... Okay, well, let's start with this. For starters, it would be good for us to know, and I'll explain as I go why this matters. It would be good for us to note that, that Yeshua never changed... Shaul's name to Paul. Um, I had this discussion recently as well. Well, you know, and in, in this, let me just, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So I'm just going to, I'm going to start to read to uh, the point of my notes to try to get me focused. <laughs> um, and there are plenty. 
Um, so at the time of Shaul's conversion, because that was his name, Saul, Shaul, um, Yeshua called him that. He called him Shaul. Um, later, Yeshua told Ananias to, fa- to find Shaul in Damascus and re- restore his sight. Um, nearly every version that you can find states Acts chapter 9, verse 22, is saying that Shaul was increasing in spiritual strength and understanding of Yeshua as Messiah. Not the man formerly known as Shaul or not even Paul. In almost every version that I quickly looked through, his name was Shaul on the other side of his encounter with the great light of Messiah. And the revelation uh, of this, this God-man um, and, and that he was persecuting by persecuting his followers. It was synonymous for, for, from uh, Messiah's vantage point. Um, dual names. This is important. Now, please, please pay attention. This is not some, well, you're not calling his name right presentation. That's not the whole goal of this, so, so please uh, uh, stay along with what I'm presenting. Dual names was somewhat normal for that time period and is even seen in other places of the Bible. Um, I just looked up a few. One was uh, Hadassah, whose name was later assigned uh, the name Esther, that we, of course, would be more familiar with. Now, this was given by men primarily for cultural purposes. Um, Now, although we see Abram changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob became Israel, of course, we never see Yeshua or Yahweh or any angel on the behalf of Yahweh change Shaul's name in such a manner as these, like, like Abram to Abraham. We, we don't have that given to us in anywhere, anywhere in the Bible. Um, likewise, we could even go back to the Older Testament of Nebuchadnezzar. He changed the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Um, then they were known as Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and of course, everybody's Sunday school voices, Abednego. Although foreign to us... Ancient time periods often designated dual names. I'm no scholar, and I'm not, I don't have time to go into all the things that I read about it because I'm intrigued at the, the fact that that is. Um, but we have to stick to Shaul specifically. Adopting his Roman name would allow him to approach the Gentiles that he was being sent to more easily. Let's just think about it. Again, I always try to encourage us to think of these, in, think of these individuals as real men, real-life men who are going to other men to, to carry out their, their mandate um, from the Lord, to, to carry out their purpose. And Shaul is no different in that way. He was, he was called, he was chosen, he was set apart, and he was sent out now to perform a very tall task to carry a very, very, very strong mantle of, of New Covenant gospel in the age that he was positioned in a great responsibility, of course, but he was a real man carrying out real-life activities. And so I believe this um, understanding of what his name meant, Paul, you can look at different versions and, and explanations of little or small, Paul. Um, perhaps it would serve as a constant reference to himself and others that he desired to become small in order to magnify Yeshua. Because we know that was much of his message. He even says that basically word for word. As we always say on the program, names and their meanings held much weight and substance back then compared to today. We don't really have much of that anymore. We have 
People make up names that sound cool or trendy or they're named after a celebrity or something like that. Names today in many ways and cultures, American culture, of course, as well, mean very little. Um, but that wasn't the case back then. Uh, names had, had, had very much uh, meaning and your name kind of your name definition preceded you. Like, you know, we could look at Older Testament names that are quite fascinating. You might say Yahweh is you know, Elohim, or, or, you know, he's our king, you know, could all say all these different things. So with that being said, it would do us well to remember, Yeshua never changed Shaul's name during their encounter on the road to Damascus. That did not happen. Um, that most people would probably say, well, I know it didn't really happen like that, but there are people that say, well, <laughs> It's, it's kind of folklore that, that his name was changed, um, but it's just not true. Like, biblically, it's not true. If it were so, it would be spelled out clearly, as it was with, uh, just like with Yeshua changing Simon's name to Kepha. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, that is spelled out word for word. Um, so from here on out in this series, however long it becomes, I will speak of Shaul for these reasons, not, not for any other reason than that. Um, I've got no interest in trying to impress anyone or offend them, either one. Uh, it's a personal thing. I believe that's his name that he would have been called according to. Um, and so it's for that reason. I'm not being dogmatic about this either. Um, it's absolutely re- re- relevant to today and what I want to present um, in, this, in this series. Um, why? Well, number one, it's just not biblically accurate. <laughs> Um, but but more importantly, that that little snippet of history, which is not um, that has become Christian folklore, has affected a lot of perspective towards Christianity and New Testament understanding and New Covenant people, and, and it, it goes right into play with the understanding that that. That Paul, this man Paul, whose name used to be Shaul back when he was a, an angry Torah keeper, when his name was changed, he instated the new church. And he, he instituted the new church way on the other side of Jesus. Um, and that's why this matters, because if we understand that his name was not just magically changed in order to become someone else and start a new church... It begins to rightly shake our errant foundation of doctrinal principles that we have inherited um, in broad Christianity. Um, again, I'm not being dogmatic about a name, but I'm saying from my own personal vantage point and, and, and the way I hear people speak, it is used in a, a segue, if you will, into discussing how that is a part and an example of how he was changed to birth the new church, the the apostolic church on the other side of Yeshua's ascension in Acts chapter 2, of course, um, with the Pentecost reality. Um, So I believe it affects our doctrine as a whole, maybe very quietly and not really something on the forefront, but it it does affect um, our doctrinal understanding if that is a component that launches us into a, a... new religion, Jesus, and a new Christianity that didn't exist before 
um, Paul came on the scene to declare it. Um, so with that established for your consideration, um, I want to shift into focusing on the words accuse and accusers, as we've named today, accusations in Acts. And, and what I want to point out is um, just the the use of this word accuse or accusers and where it originated with me today is I was reading the latter half of, of the book of Acts, and I just started making this mental note about how accuse and accusers was constantly just, they were jumping off of the pages. And it just prompted this reminder in me of, of the need to make clear what, in the, what was really happening here. Um, in these stages of Shaul's life. What was really unfolding? What was he experiencing and why? What about these accusations and, and what about the accusers? Um, and so let's just get to these words specifically. Um, again, I like first mention. It was first mentioned in the, in the Newer Testament, Matthew chapter 12, verse 10. Going on from that place, Yeshua went into the synagogue. A man there had a shriveled hand looking for a reason to accuse him of something. They, some of the Pharisees, some of the leaders, asked him, Is healing permitted on Shabbat, Sabbath? But he, Yeshua, answered them, If you have a sheep that falls in a pit on Shabbat, which of you won't take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, what is permitted on Shabbat is to do good. And so here we are, of course, honing in on the beginning of uh, Matthew 12.10. Uh, looking for a reason to accuse Yeshua of something, these men asked him uh, this question pertaining to uh, Sabbath. Now, now let's. This is this is the crux of what we're going to talk about and why, of course. And and many of you know this. Again, I say this every episode. Know this more than I do, and have walked in this for years. But again, this program is for the the I'm the middleman here. I'm the in between uh, for anyone who might. Long for truth and, and, and be open to gaining more understanding that, that very likely will often, if not always, oppose our Christian doctrine, upbringing, and traditions. Um, but these accusers were not standing on Torah. This, is no, this has nothing to do with, with the Torah, uh, but rather their own interpretation. Um, we know this as the son would never oppose his father's law. We, that's a simple baseline because um, he came to fulfill and accomplish it. He and his father's words are one. He only spoke what the father said. So, as we always have to mention, Yeshua never had any ideas of his own or, or a creative moment where he needed to replace father's ways. <laughs> um, that, was, that would be a, a very foolish suggestion for us to make. Um, but likewise, we see this in John chapter 8, um, this word accuse. Um, it's in, in the account of the woman who was caught in adultery. We know the account. Um, we all know the story. Yeshua challenges those that are there gathered around her to test him, him, Yeshua. They want to test him, and so what do they say? She, we know she was caught in the act of adultery. They, they bring her out, and, and they're ready to stone her, and they're all, you know, enraged with anger about the situation, perhaps. Um, but there's more to it in the sense it's not about the woman. It's not about her condition. This is about men who are promoting their own will, ways, and, and oral traditions above the Torah and above everything Yeshua was coming and proclaiming. And they hated him for it. And so 
Yeshua challenges those who were gathered to test him. And he says to the woman, after they had fled, where are your accusers? Okay, this is the same word um, that we're going to see all throughout Acts here in mere moments. But we're laying a baseline again. First mentioned, Matthew 12, 10, um, where the leaders were looking for a reason to accuse Yeshua. And then here they were accusing this woman. And Yeshua says that. He knows that. He recognizes it and says, where are your accusers? And so the leaders were not properly executing Torah. Um, They were creating their own judicial code. This would take some time to unpack. It's not going to be today. There are plenty of other teachers online who can do so. Um, But their entire motive is even revealed to us in this passage in verse 6. It says this, This they said to test Yeshua that they might have a reason to accuse him. Okay, so we of course know that that Yeshua was not invalidating the Ten Commandments with his actions, right? We know that. We we do know that, right? (laughs) Um, They they specifically refer to the law of Moses here is why I have to say that. They're talking about what the law, the rocks in their hand, and they're raging with anger and judgment. Maybe, again, as I study this out, I'm like, I'm not sure they were really even engaged in the situation. The whole point of everything they were doing was to accuse the woman and thereby accuse Yeshua because they knew what his response to the woman would be. And so this is not about the circumstance. And a lot of teachings, of course, maybe even mine from years ago, will focus on the the circumstance of, of, of Yeshua's mercy and compassion for the woman and how he... I, rem, I can remember sermons of how... He he didn't submit himself to Torah and, and God's old law because he came to institute a new religion that was full of grace and compassion and forgiveness. And so everything that the law said had to be done didn't have to be done anymore because he was a man of grace and compassion. Well, friends, that's not accurate at all. We have to, we have to be careful that we don't throw out half of the Bible because of... of, of of this replacement theology where Yeshua came and somehow usurped his father's authority and undid everything that preceded, including his, his, his governmental rule and law that was in place for mankind. Um, and so instead, the whole, the whole instance that unfolds here, we could spend episodes just on this, is about the accusation issue, accusing her and then thereby accusing Yeshua um, because of his response. So again, all of this unfolds, we're told in verse 6 of John chapter 8, this they said in order to test Yeshua. The whole thing they're doing is unfolding in order to test him, that they might have a reason to accuse him. Okay, so the whole point of this entire thing that we're told is unfolding with this woman had nothing to do whatsoever with the Torah or even the woman, I would say. It was all a scheme to test Yeshua and to trap him. And this is going to be a common thread as we move into Shaul here in a little bit, and you're probably already catching on because there's so many things that are synonymous between Yeshua and Shaul of being trapped, um, caught, if you will, and put up against the wall and and really probed and <laughs> pressed with accusations. It's it's an interesting parallel. Um there are endless examples of similarities between these two men, um, Yeshua and, and Shaul. Um, many of them regarded improper handling of Torah by some of those who were in charge. 
in order to try to just denigrate them in front of other people, um, to, to make them look like them, Yeshua and Shaul to be specific, to make them look minimalized, and, and that, that they, the, the, the teachers of the oral traditions, the oral Talmudic law, were saying, look, we've got this. This is our thing here. This is, we know how to govern this. We were given authority. We were in place. Even though they had left behind the, the correct order and everything that, that Yahweh would have put in place for that time period to continue, they had usurped authority just like mankind always does. Lord over the people, exalt this fence, they said, to guard the Torah, which was not necessary. And so these men, like Shaul, come in. And they stir all that up and they say, whoa, 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 this is not right. This has nothing to do with Torah. This has nothing to do with Father's ways. This has nothing to do with that. This is all about you, friend. The same continues today. Um, The Torah, though, however, interestingly enough, was often used to accuse Shaul. Uh, but, but despite what we've been taught, the accusations never won out. And that's going to be where we move here in mere moments as we get ready to go into part two of this series. Time and time again, the accusations were proven as merely that, just accusations. Erroneous, unwarranted lies, <laughs> um, which is the, the, ironically, we were not told that part um, in most Christian Bible teaching. I didn't. I did not get the full story um, when I was taught this. And so when I studied it for myself, man, even as a grown adult, a regenerated Christ man, I would read it and it would be filtered through my old Christian upbringing lens. And I didn't even know it that said, yeah, Paul was teaching against Torah because he's talking to the men who did Torah and calling them out. Jesus did the same thing, called them out, teachers of the law, whitewashed tombs. But nobody ever taught me the rest of these verses and these accounts in the proper context of the the Talmudic understanding and the exaltation of self and their own laws and traditions. It It was merely religion, ironically enough, that continues today. It was nothing different. It was the exaltation of their version of something that had been exalted above Yahweh's law. And this, of course, is what Yeshua, and primarily to stick to where we're about to head, this is Shaul's issue. And this is why he was hated. This is why men were infuriated when he would speak, because he's saying, look, I don't care about your traditions. I don't care about what you say is required for salvation. I know what my father says, and I know what my Messiah spoke. They are one and the same, and guess what? They're not what you're saying. Therefore, it's got to go. And they hated that. They hated him creating that type of of dissension. And so this this will lead us into our next part here in just mere moments. The latter chapter of Acts, latter chapters rather, they are riddled with examples of what I just shared um, about accusations. And in in my submission will be that this has been a subtle removal of truth as we are generations and generations and generations removed from the first, second, third century 
gathering of set-apart believers. This sect of the Nazarenes that, that this man Shaul was the ringleader of. We are so far removed from what they did, what they believed, and what they continue to say is necessary for, for Yahweh's people in Messiah. <laughs> um, and so we're going we're to go through the, the uses of accusers. Um, Acts 23, 24, 25, 26, and many verses throughout those four chapters alone is primarily where we will head. Um, and so let's go ahead and wrap it up and we'll do that. Um, I would encourage you, if you have the time in between parts one and two, which it's up to you, um, to read those chapters. The latter, the latter chapters of the book of Acts would do you really well to read over. And then if, if I can humbly ask, then listen to what I will present and read them again. And, and maybe then read them again and again and again and get through your mind the possibility, because what I'm submitting is a possibility, that the understanding that you now possess is just off. And that perhaps who Shaul was and what his teachings are, are not quite who he and they are. Um, perhaps there is something different to see here. And so that's my proposal. As we talk about accusations and acts, a subtle removal of truth. You are watching the Path Design podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. Praise the Father, there is one. Um, <laughs> it's a privilege to be on this journey. I hope you're on one as well. And it may look different. In fact, it absolutely will. But are we journeying into what the Word of God says for itself, aside from our traditions and our own doctrines and law that we have been handed? We have to know. We have to study to show ourselves what approved. We can do that. So reach out to us if you would like, pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know where you are, what you're up to these days. Thank you so much for watching. We'll be back with part two right after this. Amen.